so that you don't have to take notes. Um, so when I was in college, there were some teachers that you had to take notes on everything. So they would say something, you get to the end of the sentence, and you're like you're trying to spell it right, and then you miss the next sentence that they said, and then you kind of come back into it. Or if you've ever been in a class and somebody says, or heard a sermon, and you're like, so... Uh, so how was it? How was the sermon? Like I, I don't I don't really know, but I got a lot of good notes, <laughs> right? And so as a teacher uh, in trying to train in evangelism, you're like, all right. So how do you do this? So everything I say, except for one small part, is going to be up on the screen, and we're going to go through it all. And uh, then this uh, little uh, sheet of paper here is kind of like something I put together as a track that I leave with people after I give them the gospel. So we'll uh, come to both of those. I'm glad to be here. Thank you to uh, Pastor David for having me here uh, today. I want to make sure that you guys can see this here. So is this about far enough back so that you can see it or am I in your way now? I'm fine? All right. So he'll read through my brain. So this is on uh, how to share Jesus without fear. The seminar is adapted and used by permission from two books. Share Jesus Without Fear by William Fay. Also, is there any way to get this slide off right here? Because as I'm looking at the screen, everyone's like, like break my eye, eye shot there. All right. And also Evangelism Explosion by D. James Kennedy. And I, I do not endorse either book entirely. So I like to read, but reading a book is like eating chicken. You eat the chicken, what do you do with the bones? Yeah, right. Spit them out, right? You throw them away. Uh, so... When I reached out to share Jesus without fear, they wanted me to put a copyright notice on there for you guys to know that I did get permission in writing from them. But question number one is, what is the specific biblical mandate for the evangelists? So just at the beginning here, I'm going to ask a few questions if you want to raise your hand. What is the specific biblical mandate for the evangelists? Anybody? Spread the gospel. All right, spread the gospel. Anybody else? Make disciples of it. Make disciples. Anyone else? Specific biblical mandate for the evangelists. Preach God's word. Anybody else? Evangelists should do that, but he's also supposed to do one more thing. Anybody got it? Go. Go? All right. It's kind of a trick question. Um, so we won't ask your pastor. We don't want to trick him either. But uh, question number two is, how many of you ever wanted to share your faith uh, but we're reluctant for one reason or another. Uh, another. Raise your hand and say, I wanted to share it, but I didn't say anything. All right, yeah, we've all been there. Uh, question number three is, why have you struggled to share your faith? Anybody want to say a quick word or sentence? Why have you struggled to share your faith? Because I don't know what people, I don't know how they'll react. Don't know how they're going to react. No, that's true. You don't know how they're going to react. Anybody else? Don't know the material well enough. <clears throat> don't know the material well enough? All right, okay. Anybody else? Fear. Okay, great. Um, question number four is, which kind of a believer are you? One who talks about unbelievers or one who talks to believers? Very convicting question, right? So, yeah, to unbelievers, I'm sorry. So, today what we're going to be doing is we're going to be talking about unbelievers, right? But it's another thing to leave those doors and to talk to unbelievers. Like yesterday... I got my uh, windshield fixed at a, a place here in town. And as I was sitting uh, there, 
in the waiting area, this lady, she starts conversation with me. And so I eventually get it around to the gospel and found out that she believes she's getting to heaven by good works plus faith. And so I talked to her a little bit about that, gave her some gospel literature, and then I had to take off. Uh, but it's like, it's one thing to be in here and sing songs about giving the gospel to lost. It's another thing to have those conversations with the lost. So this is an interesting thought here. If a believer starts one gospel conversation each week, that person will have how many gospel conversations in a year? 52, right? And if 20 believers in a church, I think we have 20 here, uh, if they were to do the same thing, there will be 1,040 gospel conversations in one year. Isn't that amazing? 20 people. It's like four. Yeah, I think we have 20 here, right? If we were to all say, every week, I'm going to hand out a track, or I'm going to have a gospel conversation for five minutes or longer, wouldn't that be amazing? Absolutely. And if they did the same thing for five years, that church will have 5,200 gospel conversations during that time. And if only 1% respond to the gospel, it could be as high as 10%, but few there be that find it, right? So let's say 1%. And, and they join that church. You, you share the gospel, they respond to it, and they join your church. There would be 52 new believers in that church in five years by God's grace and for his glory. If you did that for 10 years, you would have 104 new people here in the church that are new believers instead of transfer growth. Wouldn't that be amazing? It's because churches are not doing this that the churches die. Because people move away, they pass away, and people get mad at the church. And you go from 100 to 80, from 80 to 60, 60 to 40, and then when you get below 40, people are like, should we keep the doors open? Right? And so I'd say two churches in Omaha closed their doors this last year. Baptist churches in the GRBC. So part number one is realize four evangelism facts. These are very important to realize. Uh, number one is we, we've all neglected to share Jesus with unbelievers because we're all sinners saved by grace, right? I have not always given the gospel. When I worked at, when I went to Bible college, they asked me to stay on to be the dorm supervisor and became the dean of men. I started teaching classes, did a lot of discipleship and counseling at Northland Baptist Bible College. But I shopped up in Iron Mountain for 10 years after I graduated from Bible college. And you know how many times I gave out a gospel tract or had a gospel conversation for 10 years? Yeah. Very little, very little, to my shame. And part of it is I knew the gospel, but I didn't know how to go from a normal, regular, neutral conversation to bringing it around to the gospel. So that's what this material is about, to give you some practical tools to have gospel conversations. So sometimes we fear rejection, which is very strong emotion. Sometimes we don't want to offend or upset the other person. Now, frankly, no one has ever gotten at that upset with me <laughs> when I've given out the gospel, but, but frankly, they could. Uh, sometimes we don't share uh, because we don't know where to start in our approach to people. And sometimes we don't know enough about the gospel. Uh, fact number two is many times the problem of not sharing Jesus is that, that we think we need to know more about the Bible as a whole. Uh, however, the gospel is simple and can be summarized in one minute or less. If you were to go to any track rack and open up a track and get down to calling on the name of the Lord, talking to God, crying out to God, you take that sinner's prayer, 
If you were to say it out loud, how long would that take you to say? Less than a minute, right? And that's pretty much the whole gospel in an outline right there. If you know that, you know enough to give out the gospel. So we say, well, where did Cain get his wife? It's like, I'm not sure. I've never heard that before. That's a great question. Let me write that down, and I'll ask my pastor on Sunday. <laughs> right? And if he doesn't know the answer, he'll be like, that's a very good question. Let me write that down. I'll get back to you next week. Right? How many of you, your kids, can get you off track? Raise your hand. Like, your kids can get you off track. Do you think lost people, you know, that are, like, motivated by Satan or, you know, Satan is tempting them or their flesh is tempting them, they can try to get you off track to not hear the gospel? Uh, yes. So, out of 100 conversions, only 15% come to Christ from hearing about Jesus at a gospel event, either a crusade or a special Sunday. 15%. You say, hey, come to church. We're having you know somebody speak and they give the gospel. Or you go to a crusade and they come to Christ. But what about the other 85%? And sometimes you'll invite somebody to church or an evangelistic event and they won't come. So it's like the gospel only for those that will come to our events. How, how do you talk to the other 85%? How many of you got saved after you heard a church message and you responded at the church or at a crusade? Raise your hand. Okay. About five people here out of the whole group. So fact number four is most people hear the gospel seven times before responding. Seven times. I remember when I got saved and I was about five years old, church in DeKalb. I was sitting uh, in the back right there. And uh, every Sunday the pastor would say, now as they close your eyes, bow your head, and get ready for the invitation. If any of you don't know Jesus um, as your you know, Savior, raise, raise your hand. I'll pray for you. I remember as a little kid, like, raising my hand at least five or six times. And I was thinking, all right, when is this going to happen? And then it finally did happen. Um, but most people hear the gospel seven times before responding. Question. Did Saul of Tarsus respond to the gospel the first time he heard it? No. He didn't? Like, on the road to Damascus, that wasn't the first time? Can you imagine being the person that told the gospel to Saul of Tarsus the first time? You'd probably go home and your wife would be like, how'd it go today? Well, I talked to this guy, Saul of Tarsus, and uh, he gave him the gospel, and he was, like, furious. I thought he was, like, going to kill me and put me in prison. Right? Yeah. So, when you talk to somebody... Some people will be the first time and they may not respond. They're like, you know, I don't want to talk about it. And for others, it'll be their seventh time and they may respond. Praise the Lord. Uh, part number two is understand 13 truths. This is our belief. And we're going to fly through these. And they're already written out in your handout, but you can look here up at the screen with the pictures. Uh, but understand 13 truths. Our belief does what to our behavior? It affects it, right? And so if you don't have your belief correct, you may be like trying to twist people's arm into the kingdom. It's like, well, what did I not say or what should I have said you know, better? Um, and kind of putting your, your own uh, emphasis into it or like how can I like trick them into this? No, you, need, you don't need to do that. So we need to understand these 13 truths. Number one, the evangelists, pastors, and teachers are not the only ones commanded to share their faith, but they are to do what? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry. So this is the question I asked at the beginning. I was trying to see if you guys could say this. 
Ephesians 4, it says he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and the teachers to do what? Equip the saints for the work of the ministry for the building up the body of Christ. So what is a pastor, an evangelist, a teacher supposed to do? Are they supposed to do all the evangelism? No. Giving the gospel? No. He as a pastor is either through me or through his own efforts to equip you to do the work of the ministry. And it wasn't until like uh, 260 uh, AD uh, after Christ had was crucified, it was like 230 years later, they came up with, in, history, in church history, the first church, uh, uh, the first church building. So in the book of Acts, were they meeting in churches that they had erected and built? No. no. Well, what's kind of funny is in America, we could say, hey, I worked at the church, right? You worked at the church building. But until buildings came into existence, go into all the world and preach the gospel, make disciples, that was the work of the ministry. And so if we're not saying to the, to the lost and we're not discipling people, are we doing the work of the ministry? And so pastors and teachers and evangelists are to equip the saints for the work of the ministry. Is it totally up to Pastor Dave to see this church grow spiritually and numerically? Only up to him? No. It's like, we're, we're going to hire a pastor so that he grows this church. Well, if everybody in here were having a gospel conversation or giving out a tract once a week, you would see not only spiritual growth, but numeric growth. Truth number two is sharing Jesus with others is whose responsibility? It's our responsibility, and we must all be involved in it. Matthew 28, 20 says, Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. And this includes the command to make disciples. When we share Jesus, number truth number three, with non-believers and it becomes effective, we gain an experiential knowledge of every good thing that God has given to us. There in Philemon, there's a little verse tucked away in there that's a really helpful verse. It says, And I, Paul, pray that the sharing of your faith, Philemon's faith in Jesus, may become effective. Why? For the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for Christ's sake. When I was at Brickside Baptist Church, we do our evangelism training, and we had done it many, many times, and finally Jennifer, she came. She was the quietest person in the church. Anybody here want to claim to be, you are the quietest person here in the church? She was the quietest. She would hardly say a peep to anybody. Very friendly, very smiley, <coughs> but excuse me, she would not start any conversations at all. So she went through our training, 14 weeks in Sunday school, 10 weeks, we would go out on Wednesday night for an hour. And so she saw me do it for nine weeks. On the 10th week, I said, hey, Jennifer, do you want to do this house? She goes, she looks at me and, and she goes, okay. I said, if you come to the point where you don't know what to say next, just look at me and I'll take over. She goes, okay. So she gets up there and knocks on the door. Hi, my name is Jennifer. This is Dan. This is Steve. And we're from Brookside Baptist Church. We're out doing a religious questionnaire. I wonder if you could help us by answering a few questions. It'll only take two minutes. The guy said, sure, go ahead. So she goes through the questionnaire, gets to the end. She goes, yeah, there was a time in my life when I didn't have eternal life. Then I received it according to God's word. And now I know for sure I'm going to heaven. Could I share with you briefly how I received eternal life? The guy says, sure, go ahead. So she pulls out a, an evangelism explosion track, goes through it, gets to the sinner's prayer. She reads through the sinner's prayer and she says, do you understand this? He said, yeah. 
she said, would you like to respond to the gospel? And he says, yes. And she's like, well, you can pray this on your own or you can repeat after me. Just like when you get married, you repeat it after a pastor. And so he repeated right after her. And so we got his name and number for follow-up. She walked away. And guess what? On her, on her face was this huge smile. A month later, she comes to my office and she goes, hey, I was wondering if I could start a CEF, Child Evangelism Fellowship, at the elementary school where I work. Can I do that? I'm like, yes, you can. <laughs> a month later, her husband, Matt, comes into my office and she's, he says, my wife, Jennifer, is a totally different person now. He says, when she came to that class, she found out how to give the gospel. She has a message now where she didn't before. And she, he says, I can't keep her from talking to people. Guess what happened? She now has a full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for Christ's sake. And she, she was just beaming when you go to church. She was no longer the shy person. She was like trying to find out who was saved and who wasn't saved. <laughs> Truth number four, evangelism is a lifestyle as we go through life with God's wisdom, power, and presence. It's not a scheduled event on a certain day of the week. Now some churches, they get together on a Thursday night or Saturday morning, and they go out and evangelize. Well, if you do that, that's great, but that doesn't mean that's the only time you should evangelize. As God gives you an opportunity, give out the gospel. Once I got my windshield repaired, I, uh, I was in the garage yesterday with the guys, the three Hispanic guys, and told them thank you for uh, doing uh, my windshield, gave the guy a tip that did it, and uh, I thought, all right, so I gave him a gospel booklet that I put together, and I gave him all my prayer card, and I told them all, I said, hey, on this prayer card, on uh, the back, it's there, we, you can go to a website, it's called servinginireland.com. And at that website, there's a, there's a video at the very bottom, scroll down the box, 22 minutes, it explains how you can know for sure you're going to heaven. It'd be good for you to watch that. And so as I was leaving, one of the guys, he was on his phone uh, <coughs> looking for it. And so God gave me an opportunity. It was on a Saturday. Where? You know, it was it was a it's called cheap guys auto glass, right? <laughs> you tell what I am, right? I'm a cheap guy. You know, 195 bucks because I don't have insurance to cover it. But Matthew 28:19 says simply to go. In the original language, it says having gone. Why is it having gone? Well, it's assumed that, that they were going and making disciples and not waiting for unbelievers to show up at church, right? So he was telling the disciples one more time. You know, having gone, make disciples. They'd already gone out, right? And so he was just reiterating that. And so we need to go, um, not wait till they come to the church building. Truth number five is like Jesus, we must start gospel conversations with unbelievers and not commit the sin of silence. Start a gospel conversation. There are times where I am sitting in a place and there's a person that's like waiting there like yesterday and I'm like, all right, Lord, you want me to say something here? And, and I'll pray, like, Lord, help me not to commit the sin of silence. And isn't that what we do? Like, we know it all. I teach a seminar on it in churches. I know how to carry on these conversations. And I'll, I'll, be, I'll be frank with you. Now that I really know how to do it well, and I know all the questions, i got it all memorized, and I've seen people come to know the Lord, you know what I also do know? Is when I ask this one question, it could take a whole hour before I'm done. Right? And I'm like, 
I'm busy. I got my schedule, my things to do. And so sometimes I don't have gospel conversations because my schedule is more important than God's will to talk to this person, right? But why are we left here on the earth? There's only one thing that we can do here on earth that we can't do in heaven, right? Spread the word, right? So why are we left here? Sometimes our schedule gets us all out of whack in regards to giving the gospel. In John chapter 4, verses 4 through 30, Jesus' first four words to the Samaritan woman were what? What did Jesus say to the Samaritan woman? Did he talk to her about eternal life right away? How did he start the gospel conversation? What did he say? What? Give me water? Give me a drink, right? Give me a drink. Did he say, could you please give me a drink? He didn't even ask the question. It was like, wow, he demanded that? Uh, so this is not a verse to say, hey, you don't have to be courteous to people. But he said, <laughs> give me a drink. So what if with lost people, one of the first things you do is ask them for help? Hey, could you help me out with this? I mean, frankly, I needed help with my windshield. I don't, I don't carry windshield glass with me in the trunk, right? <laughs> so I'm like, hey, can you help me with my windshield? These things used to really bother me. Like when I would go through issues with my car, my home. Somebody preached on the book of Acts, and they said, you know, there are different themes in the book of Acts, but this, this is something you see in the book of Acts. You know what you see in the book of Acts? Christians having problems, right? They get bit by a snake or get beat up, put in prison. And guess what? Paul gets to talk to the Philippian jailer because he's in jail, right? And gives him the gospel. So he says, what if you look at life that whenever you go through a problem, the person that's going to help you with your problem to get your tire changed is somebody that needs the gospel that you will never see in your normal life. You get some kind of ailment. Now it's like, oh man, now I got to go to the doctor. Well, do you think if you go knock on the doctor's door, he's going to have a gospel conversation with you? No way. So if you say, hey, all the problems that come into my life, you know, like they got their keys locked out of wherever, you know, it's like if you get your keys locked in your car and you have to call somebody to unlock your car, give them a try. Maybe start a gospel conversation. That's what generally the book of Acts you see. So truth number six is uh, whatever we say, God can use, and it will not return empty. However, he cannot use our silence. Isaiah 55 says, So shall my word be, God's word, that goes out of my mouth. It shall not return to me empty or useless, but it shall accomplish what I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. So God can use whatever you say. Ed Fritzler is about 80 years old. And uh, we dropped off a gift from our church, and uh, I turned around, and he's at the sidewalk going like this. The guy's coming, he's like talking to him, and like for five minutes he gives him the gospel. And he's like, you know, you need to call in the name of the Lord. So he had this guy pray the sinner's prayer. And the guy did it. I mean, if an 80-year-old guy stopped you, would you do whatever he wants you to do? <laughs> like, yeah. And I used to look back on that thinking, you know, that's not the way to do evangelism, you know, properly. You know, I'm not sure he understood in five minutes what he was really doing. But frankly, even in that, can God use Ed Fritzler, who's now in heaven, that, that conversation to get a hold of that guy? Yeah. Yes, yes, he can. Like, that's the, 
And then, then I told him, I was like, hey, we need to go get some evangelism training. So that's when we went to Warren, Ohio, and we went through evangelism explosion for a whole week. He went with me because he was evangelistic. So I, you know, I was like, let's get some more training here. But it didn't return void. Truth number seven is we cannot fail in sharing Jesus because God the Father is one drawing unbelievers to Christ, not us. God the Father is drawing unbelievers. So John 6, 44 says, No one can come to me, Jesus, unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. And then verse 64 and 65 of John 6 says, But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe, and who it was who would betray him. Who would betray him? Judas. And he went to a place, uh, he did not go to heaven. Um, how, how does it say in the Bible? He went to his own place, something like that. It says, and he said, this is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. So the Father is doing the drawing. Truth number eight, which leads us to say this, that the Holy Spirit does the convicting and the converting, not us. And we must believe that he's doing his work. John 6, 18 says this, and when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world... The world, not just believers, he will convict the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. So in your gospel presentation, do you have those three things in there? You're like, well, I don't really like to talk about judgment because it's kind of negative. Well, the Holy Spirit needs you to talk about sin, Christ's righteousness, and judgment. And then he will convict the world of those three things. So here's the question. Raise your hand. How many of you, when you understood the gospel... It may not have been the first time, but after a while, when you understood the gospel, you knew you were a sinner, you knew you needed Christ's righteousness, and if you didn't respond, judgment was coming. Raise your hand. How many of you know that happened to you? Right. This question was asked by me of a missionary to France when I was in college, and he asked this question. And I saw 200 people in chapel. It was a, a smaller building at the time. They, they all raised their hand. And his question was, if the Holy Spirit convicted you of sin, righteousness, and of judgment, when you talk to lost people, is the Holy Spirit going to do the same thing for you? He's going to be convicting that person you're talking to of sin, righteousness, and of judgment. Even if he is an atheist. I've talked to atheists. Give them the gospel, and the guy's like, well, I'm an atheist. It's like, oh, like, okay. So I guess the Holy Spirit can't convict atheists, right? When you even talk to an atheist who typically is a person who's mad at God and they've like disowned God because they're upset, guess what's going to happen? I've told that to atheists. After I give them the gospel, I'm like an atheist. I'm like, well, just so you know, the Bible says that right now, God through the Holy Spirit is convicting you of sin. You're a sinner. You need his righteousness, not your own righteousness. And if you don't respond, judgment's coming. And guess what the atheist said? Nothing. Because that's what the Holy Spirit was doing in his heart. Do you believe that? If you believe that the Holy Spirit is convicting the world of those three things as you give the gospel, doesn't give you a confidence? Yes. It's like, I don't have to, like, say something weird or special. Just give him the gospel. Truth number nine is the gospel will be offensive to many unbelievers in its content, right? It'll be offensive because they haven't heard before, most likely. However, we shouldn't be offensive in our attitude and delivery of it, but speak the truth in love. Now, when I'm speaking here, I speak very 
enthusiastic and excited like it's my last sermon that I'm ever going to preach, right? I put my all into it. But when I'm sitting down at Panera Bread talking to a lost person, I'm like really quiet, probably like this. I'm like, hey, could you, could you please turn to this scripture here? Okay, great. And what does that mean to you? Okay, awesome. That's how I talk to lost people. You know, you don't have to be a bull in China. Uh, what is a bull in a China what? Shop. Yeah, I was thinking closet. Like, that doesn't sound right. Uh, so truth number 10 is, is if unbelievers hate us, it's because they hated Jesus first without a cause. If they persecuted Jesus, they will also persecute us. Should we be surprised if one day we end up in prison because of the gospel? No. Like, I can't believe I'm in prison. Did Jesus ever go to prison? Did John the Baptist ever go to prison? Did Paul ever go to prison? Like, why am I here? You know, I guess I'm going to forsake the Lord. No. Uh, that's to be expected. Truth number 11. Biblical Satan faith comes from what? Hearing God's word. And Romans 10 says, So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ or the word of God. This is the ESV. Uh, Galatians 3, 2 and 5 says, Let me, Paul, ask you this, only this. Did you receive the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, by works of the law, the Old Testament law, or by hearing with faith? Does he who supplies the Spirit to you and works miracles among you do so by works of the law or by hearing with faith? All right, so I'm going to ask the question that's kind of convicting. It's like, your neighbors, are they lost or are they believers? Like, well, they're unbelievers. It's like, well, what does this verse say has to happen for them to have faith? They have to hear. So what are we waiting for? Are we waiting for them to turn the channel on the TV through, you know, hear Billy Graham or like go into a Christian radio station that may have the whole gospel presentation in an hour or a half hour? It's like, or does God want us to go and talk to our neighbors and with hearing the gospel, it develops that faith inside of them? So it's our responsibility. So when sharing Jesus, hand the unbeliever your Bible and ask him or her to read it out loud and simply say, could you please read this out loud? So I don't use a big Bible like that. I don't hand it to them like that. But I just uh, hand it to them like this. So if I'm standing there or sitting there or whatever, I'm like, hey, uh, and I'll open it up to the verse that they need to read. I say, hey, could you please read that verse out loud for me? And then I'll say quickly, do you mind if I sit down here? And they're like, sure, go ahead. And I like sit down. And now they got my Bible in their hand and they're reading out loud God's word. Now, if a person's illiterate and cannot read, then I'll read those verses for them. But just have them read the verses out loud. And so this is a tool. This is a hook in the water. This is like throwing out the net. You can use tracts. Uh, you can have a gospel presentation memorized in your mind that you give to people in a short amount of time if you don't have very much time with them. But for other people, like relatives or people that really want to know, we'll get to one of these questions, and it's like, they want to know, then go down this path. Truth number 12 is Jesus asks unbelievers questions, and so should we. Uh, Luke chapter 10, this is an interesting story. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him, Jesus, to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He's talking to them about how do I get to heaven, right? And uh, he said to him, What is written in the law? So what do you do? He asks the question. And so just like spilling it all out, he asked a question. And then he said, how do you read it? He asked him a question, how do you understand the Old Testament law? And so this lawyer said, uh, answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, 
and your neighbor as yourself. Jesus said to him, you have answered correctly, do this and you will live. So he says, what does it mean to you? Do this and you will live. You answered correctly. So ask unbelievers questions and verify, yes, that's, that's right. Go to the next verse. Therefore, when showing an unbeliever a verse, showing a verse to an unbeliever, ask, so what does it say or what does it mean? And when they answer correctly, then you can move on. So once they answer the question correctly, don't do anything more. Just simply turn to the next scripture printed in the column of your New Testament. So my Bible here, what I like to do is start off with John 17.3. Why? Because we always tell people it's like it's not about a religion, it's about a relationship. But then in our gospel presentation, we hardly ever share any verses that talk about a relationship. John 17.3 talks about a relationship. What does John 17.3 say? It says here, This is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and the one you have sent, Jesus Christ. This is eternal life, that they may know God. So I'll just say, hey, could you, could you please uh, read that verse for me out loud? I don't have to say, I'm going to hand you my Bible, or can I hand you my Bible? You just hand it out to him and say, could you please read this out loud for me? May, sit, may I sit down? Now, you may already be sitting down. But uh, I was in Panera Bread back in um, uh, back after the Refresh Conference, so that was that would have been in February, and I had heard about this seminar, so I listened to it a couple times. I went and picked up this Bible here at Faith at the bookstore, and I'm you know underlining, highlighting, and I'm going to prove Bill Fay wrong that this doesn't work. And so I, I get into Panera Bread. I met with another missionary that day. And then he left. I'm typing on my computer. This guy keeps on looking at me. So I finally look at him. And I'm praying like, Lord, how do I start this conversation? So what comes to my mind is to tell him a joke. So I'm like, all right, uh, hey, would you like to hear a funny joke? And he goes, sure. And so I told him my funniest joke. And uh, then he laughed. And uh, then he says, what are you doing here? Are you from this area? I'm like, oh, I'm from Omaha. But I teach in churches here in the States, and I'm going to Ireland to teach in churches over there. Because people don't know what a missionary is, or they think they're a Mormon or whatever. And so, um, so I said, uh, did, when you were a little kid, did you go to church anywhere? He goes, well, my mom was Wiccan, and I did tarot card readings. I'm like, oh, really? That's interesting. And I, I said, um, so, uh, so do you have any kind of spiritual belief? He goes, yes, but not Christianity. I said, oh, okay. And so to you, who is Jesus? Oh, he's a good teacher. I'm like, do you believe in heaven or hell? He goes, I believe in heaven. I said, well, if you were to die today, and we don't want that to happen, but where would you go? And he says, I'd go to heaven. I said, well, why would God let you into heaven? Like, what are the general requirements to get in? He goes, well, I'm, I've been a good person. And so I asked him this. I said, Gino, which was his name. I said, Gino, if what you're believing were not true, would you want to know? And guess what he said? He's this big guy. looks like he works for the mafia with a beard. He goes, <laughs> Yeah, I'd want to know. And so Bill Fay says, just hand me your New Testament. So I'm sitting at this chair, this table, and he's over there. And so I'm like, so I just get out of my chair. I'm going to prove Bill Fay wrong. So I like hand Gino my Bible. Like, hey, could you read this, please? And he goes, sure. And I said, do you mind if I sit down here? So I, I sit down, and I'm thinking, I'm in Panera Bread with a lost person. He's holding my New Testament, and he's reading it. Wow, this is surreal. Total stranger, right? He read through the whole thing. We went through the review questions. He's like, I'm not ready to make this decision right now. And so I thanked him for his time, and uh, we had a few more laughs and then uh, went on. 
So at times you may want to briefly clarify the point of a verse. Uh, who is this a picture of? Anybody know? Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch, right? Says the Holy Spirit said to Philip, go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran to him. That's the funniest verse in the Bible about evangelism. Philip ran. He's like, you ever have to run to get to where God wants you to do the gospel? <laughs> Says to the Ethiopian eunuch. And he heard him reading Isaiah, the prophet, and he asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? So you may have to guide them at times, going through the Bible and explain some things. And, and then he invited Philip to come up and to sit with him. So with this method of evangelism, we're in the page turning business and it's nothing too complicated. So in here, in Romans, uh, in uh, John 17, 3, at the very top of my margin, it says Ephesians 2, 8, 9. When I get to Ephesians 2, 8, 9, at the top margin, it tells me what page to go to next, or what verse. Truth number 13, in summary, success as a believer is this, living out a Christian life in love and obedience, sharing Jesus with others, and leaving the results to God. Living out your life in obedience to God. Share Jesus when God gives you an opportunity to leave the results to him. And then follow six guidelines. This is our behavior. This gets to more of the specifics. Guideline number one is ask questions because this helps you guide the conversation and the unbeliever will be less defensive. Guideline number two, don't say no to the unbeliever every time he or she, she says something unbiblical or you may start an argument and not have enough time to share Jesus. So if they say something unbiblical, don't say, no, that's not right and you've got to correct them. Just wait till you can share the gospel through the scriptures. Guideline number three, don't put the unbeliever down. Just say, hmm, and nod, because listening is showing that you care. Like when you're listening to your spouse. <laughs> All the spouses say amen, right? All the ladies. That's my wife. She's like, honey, I just want to explain my day. I don't want you to like counsel me or correct anything or give any, just listen. I'm like, hmm, okay. Mm. Oh, oh mm, right. Okay, sure. Uh, okay, all right. Right? So that's what the lost wants you to do when you're asking them the questions. Guideline number four. Don't comment on anything the unbeliever says when you're asking the opening and the probing questions, or you'll go down a rabbit trail and spend most of your time there. Guideline number five is let the questions lead you to sharing Jesus from the Word of God with the unbeliever. And then guideline number six. And being sensitive to an emotional unbeliever, you may need to leave a public area and go to some place that's a little bit more private. So part number four is ask one opening question. This is not in your material. This is from Evangelism Explosion. But how many of you have heard of the word form, the acrostic form? Anybody? All right. Stands for family, occupation, recreation, and message. So when you're talking with a new person, like yesterday, I was at that uh, auto body shop, and the lady, she gave me her name, and I didn't ask her her age, um, occupation, uh, she was reading a book, I said, well, what books do you enjoy reading? We talked about that a little bit, uh, with guys and ladies, I did ask her about you know, where she had a job before, and she told me, and, uh, and then recreation, what do you do for fun, or you like sports, you have any hobbies? Uh, what crafts do you like to do, and then your message. So when people come to church here, they, they don't really want you to say, hi, glad you came today, and then you walk away. I went to one church, and 40 people said that to me. My friend afterwards, it was his church, he goes, so what do you think of our church? I'm like, well, a lot of people said, hi, how are you? And then they left. <laughs> Nobody ever asked me my name, where I was from, or what I did. 
I said it was, it was kind of unique. Um, but your message, once you've gone through some of these things, could only take three minutes, five minutes, ten minutes. Your message is, well, hey, love for you to come back to church here next week, right? That'd be a great message. And if it's not related to church, you go into the gospel at that time if God uh, is opening the door for you. So believers, we can transition most conversations with an unbeliever to at least one opening question. This can be accomplished when anything spiritual or religious comes into the conversation. And when someone asks where we work, we can add to our answer that we also help at church. Some people ask me what I do. I could say, well, I'm a teacher. And they're like, well, what do you teach? And I'm like, it's none of your business. Right? I can set down a conversation pretty quickly. But if I want to share Jesus and I want to get into a religious conversation, I tell them that I teach in churches, and I teach in churches over in Ireland. And then I could say, you know, when you were a little kid, did you used to go to church anywhere? Right? How easy was that? But if I don't say anything about church, and you say, well, I'm not a missionary, I'm not a pastor. Do you attend here on a regular basis? Do you ever help out? What can you say? Well, I help out at church. And, and just kind of curious, when you were a little kid, did you go to church anywhere? So, for example, an opening question in a conversation that we could ask, and this is my favorite. I would say I use this 90% of the time. So, do your parents take you to church when you were younger or not? Now, why would you ask that question? Well, realize the unbeliever may be embarrassed of the fact that he or she isn't going to church right now. So, ask about when he or she was younger. If I were to ask you, where do you go to church right now, and you say, I'm not, then what will you do for the next five minutes? Tell me about why you're not going to church. And that's not my purpose to have this conversation with you, is to find out why you're mad at church. If you didn't go to church when you were a little kid, whose fault was that? Your parents' fault. They didn't take you. So it's like, yeah, I was Methodist. And then that's the end of the conversation. Question number two is, uh, and I'll ask this one when I'm sitting down with a lost person having coffee or lunch with them and I have longer. I'll ask them this question. So if you don't mind me asking, what's been your spiritual journey? So if you don't mind me asking, what's been your spiritual journey? Uh, he's going to talk about church. He's going to talk about prayer, the Bible. Where's he at in his spiritual journey? Great question. So everybody thinks they're on a uh, spiritual path, even if it's satanic. So Gino, he said, yeah, I, I'm spiritual, but he said, not Christianity. He said, I, I'm, uh, my mom was wicked, and I did tarot card readings, as I told you before. He felt like he was spiritual. I asked him this question. Question number three. So what's the most important thing you'd like to teach your children or your child? Where could you ask that question at? <clears throat> at a park or a play area, right? The Bible says that parents should teach their children about Jesus and eternal life. The most important thing, ma'am, or sir, that you could teach your child is how to go to heaven one day, right? And then go into a gospel conversation if you have time. Question number four is, so what does a person do when there's a major change in his or her life? Where could you ask this at? You could ask this question at a funeral or when somebody loses their job. So God wants us to bring our burdens and cares to him. Part number five, we're going to pick up quickly here and uh, land this plane. Ask six probing questions. After using one opening question, ask uh, these six probing questions to see where the person is at spiritually. And these questions here will be very helpful for you to have these memorized. You're like, how can I memorize six questions? If you read through these six questions 100 times, you'll have memorized. Because <laughs> I have read through them almost 100 times. i got to memorize. 
you can't pull out while you're having a gospel conversation. I was like, just a second, I went through the seminar. Let me read you these questions. Get these things memorized. Question number one is you say this. I'm curious, Danny, do you have any kind of spiritual belief? So three weeks ago, I was in a town here in Iowa. About 700 people. It was a little south of here. And I walk into a restaurant, and there's this lady on her computer. <clears throat> I said, hey, is this open right now? She goes, yeah. I'm like, okay. So I went in there. I'm like, what do you suggest for uh, for lunch? She goes, hamburgers and fries. I'm like, all right. So I found out that the waitress was also the cook and the busboy. Her name was Danny. So she fixes my hamburger and fries. I'm sitting there. My, my, uh, my fries were really hot, going through the ketchup, tasting really good. Halfway through my fries, she says, so what brings you to town? I'm like, okay. <laughs> I said, well, I'm going to be teaching at a church tonight. She goes, well, what church? I'm like, this church. She goes, I used to go to VBS there. I'm like, oh, really? So when you were a little girl, did you go to church anywhere? And she said, yeah, I was Methodist. My mom was Methodist. I said, well, I'm just kind of curious. I knew her name by that time. I said, do you have any kind of spiritual belief? And she said, yes. And that's it. Let me talk five seconds or five minutes about this. Then question number two I asked Danny. I said, so, so to you, who is Jesus? She goes, what? I said, well, in other words, like, what's your understanding of who Jesus is? And she said, he's God. That's what she said. He's God. So their answer will either be personal or impersonal. Um, people say, well, he's a teacher. He's this or that. But if somebody says, well, he's my Lord. He's my Savior. He's my friend. He's my guide. Well, that, that sounds pretty personal, right? So these questions help you figure out where they're at. Question number three is, so do you believe there's a heaven and hell? Like, well, I don't want to ask that question because... That'll come up with some controversy. But you have to ask this question because you're going to ask them, why is God going to let you in heaven? What are the general requirements to get into heaven? So question number four, and she asked that. She said, yes, there is a heaven and hell. Danny did. Question number four is, and if you died right now, where would you go? She said, I would go to heaven. And then I asked question number five. And if, and if heaven, why would God let you in? Why? And she goes, well, what do you mean? So I said, well, what are the general requirements to get into heaven? She goes, well, I'm a good person. And so then uh, they'll either talk about Christ's work or their work. Yesterday when I was talking to the lady, she said, she says, good works to get into heaven. I said, well, what about Jesus Christ? Well, that too. And I said, so do you have to believe and it results in good works or is it good works plus your faith? I usually will say, is it good works and faith or, or faith that works? And she goes, yeah, I feel like it's both. And she was from uh, a church called the Open Bible. So I don't know if they believe in losing your salvation or whatever. But I gave her a booklet about the gospel as, as we left. Question number six is, this is the most important question. I never heard this question until I was 55 years old this, this last year. Great question. And if what you believe were not true, would you want to know? Gino said yes in Panera Bread. I got done with Dan. Danny was sitting over by her computer. I was on the other side of the restaurant eating my fries, asking her these questions. I said, so, uh, Danny, if, if what you believe about getting to heaven, you know, by good works were not true, would you want to know? And guess what she said? Yes, I would want to know. So you know what I had to do with my hot fries? Leave them and my hamburger. Like, that was my schedule. That's what I wanted to do in my flesh. Eat, not give the gospel. So I'm like, all right, here we go. 
I walked over and I'm like, open up to John 17:3 and like, hey Danny, could you read this for me please out loud? She said yes. I said, hey, like, you don't want to be an idiot to stand there the whole time, right? So I'm like, do you mind if I sit down here? Guess what she said? Sure, go ahead. So I, I went through all 18 verses with her. She read them out loud. I said, what does that mean to you? And we got down to the review questions. So if he or she says yes, then open your Bible to John 17, 3 and hand it to him or her. Your goal is to get him or her to read the word of God out loud about the gospel. If he or she says no, then just stop. And at times he or she will say, well, you know, aren't you going to tell me? Like, well, you told me you didn't want to know. Uh, so then continue on because some of the no's will not stick because he or she will really want to know. We're just trying to give you a hard time. However, if he or she really doesn't want to know, thank him or her for a time or simply change the subject. If you can walk away, hey, thank you for your time, walk away. If you're in the dentist chair or you're on a plane, and I've had both of those things happen to me, just change the subject. Also, at the end, you could offer a track or a link to a gospel video. Number six, use a small New Testament. So use a small, clean New Testament that's the size of a notebook or checkbook uh, with large enough print that's easy to read. You can pick these up, share Jesus without fear, for four bucks on Amazon. Uh, then, when you open your Bible, an unbeliever may say, Oh, Dan, there are many mistakes in the Bible. So, what's your name? Carol. Carol. I hand it to Carol, and she's like, Oh, no, there are many mistakes in the Bible. What do you do? What do you say? Just hand him or her the Bible and graciously say, You know, Carol, I have been reading this for a long time. I haven't found one in there. Is there any way you could show me where that one is at? <laughs> right? And she's like, Well, I, I really don't know where it's at. So he or she won't know where to go, most likely. Uh, then just say, Well, let's, let's look at this verse here, John 17, 3. Go right into it. Uh, are they really wanting you to get in an argument about apologetics? No, they aren't. They're just trying to get you off track, like your kids. Uh, or an unbeliever may say, Now, Dan, there are many translations of the Bible out there. What do you say then? There's only two things that can come out. There are many errors, like, Oh, could you show me one in a gracious way? Or they say, There are many translations out there. Do they want to get in a conversation about translations? No. No. Trying to get you off track. So what do you say? Yes, but they all basically say the same thing. Right. Now, technically, you can. All right, is that the best phrase theologically or you know Christianity to say? Um, but do they all basically say that Jesus, you know, for God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son? Yes, yes, they do. So don't get a whole translation conversation. <clears throat> Let it get you off track. That's the whole purpose. Part number seven is prepare and share the gospel scriptures. And the two-page handout that I gave to you right here looks like this. What I encourage you to do is you can fold it in half so it looks like this. Fold it in half. So the question there at the very top says, so what's been your spiritual journey? Then uh, memorize those six questions. These are all the verses that I went through with Danny one by one. I asked her afterward, it was all over. I said, was that too many verses? And she goes, no, I am stubborn and I'm very skeptical. So she said, I needed all those verses. That was perfect amount. There are 18 of them. And uh, so you may have your own favorite verses. You can type something out like this. What's helpful is when I was all done with Danny, I said, hey, you can take this home with you and review this stuff. For which she said, I'm actually going to take this home and give it to my husband and have him read it. <laughs> wow, I was like, she's already been an evangelist. So simply open your Bibles to John 73 and turn your Bible around so it's upside to you like this, Ephesians 2, 8, 9. 
Now you can do it, you know, just the regular way. But I would say most of the time you're probably sitting across from somebody, you know, as a relative at a coffee shop or whatever. Some of you have been wanting to go through the gospel with one of your relatives. Take them out for coffee or say, hey, let's go get some steak and uh, get into a gospel conference. Have your Bible ready. Then I take this and I fold it up into thirds like this and I stick it in my Bible. And so when I went over to Danny, I said, hey, Danny, could you please read this? I pulled it out. And she read it. I stuck it on the table. I didn't know how far we were going to get. At the very end, I pulled it out. I'm like, so, Danny, what we just did here is I asked you those six questions, which I have memorized. Uh, these are the verses that we just went through. You can look up in your Bible tonight or read through them. But here are six more questions I just want to ask you. And so I went like this. I'm like, so, uh, so Danny, would you say you're a sinner? She said, yes. Do you want forgiveness for your sins? She said, yes. Do you believe Jesus died on the cross, was buried and rose from the grave? She said, yes. Are you willing to believe, receive, confess, repent, and call on the name of the Lord? Yes. Uh, are you ready to trust Christ to save you and make you right with God? She said, yes. I said, well, Danny, could you please read this prayer out loud for me? Just to see if you understand it. As she's reading through it, she gets choked up halfway. I was like, wow, is this really happening? <laughs> so I said to her, I said, would you want to pray this later on, or you can play, pray it right now, or you can repeat after me? Well, guess what she said? She says, I've never done this before. It's like, I would like to repeat after you so I make sure that you know I say it right. That's her perspective of it. Uh, but it says, how shall they call on whom they believe? So you got to believe, and then you got to call, cry out to God. And so this is a part of that. And... Um, so on the margin nearest you, write out the reference Ephesians 3 and 9, which is the next reference that you're going to be sharing with the unbeliever. And then continue to do this for all 18 verses listed on the handout with the next verse to be printed in the top column. And if you read through the eight pages of the handout here, it explains it uh, a little bit more thoroughly. And uh, you can always go to the smartest person in your church and ask him how to do it, which is your pastor. No, I'm just uh, also highlight the verse in yellow. Uh, so it's easier for the unbeliever to locate and underline any key words. That way they know what you're wanting them to say. And then simply hand them uh, the Bible to them, like I said before, and say, could you please read this out loud? And when he or she is done reading out loud, ask, so what does it say or what does it mean? If he or she doesn't answer correctly, simply say, could you read that again out loud until the meaning becomes clear to them? So that happened to Danny. She read it a couple times, and she still didn't get it. So then I just clarified what the verse meant, and then we, and then we went on. So at the end, part number eight, ask those five review questions, which is on your sheet. Are you a sinner? Do you want forgiveness? Do you believe? Are you willing to do? And those are the five key words in the New Testament. It talks about believe, uh, as many as receive him, confess with your mouth, repent, call on the name of the Lord. And then, are you ready to talk to the Lord about this right now? And she said, yes. Then remember, three final guidelines here. When you ask that last question, would you like to talk to God about this right now? Um, be silent and continue to pray. This is the most crucial question that this person has ever been asked. And later, you can repeat that last question by saying, so are you ready to make that decision now? If he or she says yes, then I would review with him or her a prayer of calling on the name of the Lord. <clears throat> After reviewing the prayer, you can say something like this. Would you like to pray that prayer yourself, or would you like to repeat it after me? Some pastors, they don't like you to repeat after them, but when you get married, you repeat vows that are actually not found in a certain page of the Bible, but it's what the Bible says about marriage, and you repeat them after a pastor, and you need to know what they mean, and, and, and you are married uh, uh, as you're saying those things, and you sign the document, whatever. 
Uh, guideline number two is when the unbeliever gives you most any objection, just say why. Or so why is that? When I got to the end, I asked Gino, I said, would you like to, you know, call in the name of the Lord? Talk to God about this right now. He goes, no. So what did I say? I said, well, well why is that? And he told me. It's like, well, i got to do more research, and i got this, this, and this. And I was like, so, so why is that? And then he told me a few more things. I knew that he just was not ready to do it. So I didn't push it. Um, but you can ask why. Guide, your kids ask it all the time, right? Uh, got, and get you to do things. Uh, guideline number three is if they're ready to make a decision for Christ and they understand the gospel due to hearing it many times before, maybe because of VBS or Awana, you may want to skip to the end of the gospel and say something like this. So are you ready to make that decision now? So in final here in conclusion, I appreciate your time here. Um, how can you continue or begin to share Jesus without fear? And wrap it up here in one minute. Look at these questions here. First, decide to say something today about your silence and be serious about sharing Jesus Christ. Sad to say, this is what I was like uh, in my 10s, 20s, and 30s. I knew the gospel. I just didn't start gospel conversations. And I didn't really know how to go from a neutral conversation to a gospel conversation, so I just didn't. I committed the sin of silence for, for many, many years. Uh, second, review this material and mark up a New Testament with a selected scripture or the ones that you prefer. So go back through that material there, the eight-page handout. And actually on page eight, there's an excellent story I would encourage you to read later. Third, ask God to give you an opportunity this week to share Jesus without fear. Ask God for the opportunity. Whenever I've given the gospel, something that's very interesting in my review is that the days where I did give the gospel are days that I prayed for an opportunity and I took those opportunities. If you're not praying for opportunities, you probably not see them. Four, start a conversation with an unbeliever this week and ask one opening question, which my opening question is, oh, so when you're a little girl, did you go to church someplace? And then ask all six probing questions. So do you have any kind of spiritual belief? To you, who is Jesus? Do you believe in heaven or hell? Okay, and if you were to die today, where would you go? Okay, and why would God let you in? And if you were wrong, if you were incorrect, if it wasn't, you know, if what you're believing were not true, would you want to know? If they say yes, then you can proceed. If they say no, then thank them for the time and carry on. Fifth, pick a friend as an accountability partner of the same gender and not your spouse. And if you don't ask all six probing questions with an unbeliever within a week, then you owe your friend breakfast or lunch. Like, I'm really serious about this. Well, if you're serious about it, find somebody in the church that will be your partner and say, hey, if I don't do this within a week, get, get a New Testament, mark it up, and ask somebody these six questions, I'll buy you lunch. You know, you're more, more likely to get it done than not. So thank you for listening, and may God bless you in many great ways, Pastor. Closing song, you're going to have to use your...